This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 115. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, editorial assistant Ellie chats to Ivan and Imogen of Native Restaurant in London about going from jam making to zero waste cooking, the best places to forage for pineapple weed in London and why ants are on the menu. But first, editor Laura catches up with Olive Chef Awards nominee Sam Buckley at Wilderness Festival. The chef and owner of Stockport's Trailblazing Where the Light Gets In reveals his passion for simple cookery, growing veg in the allotment and good mental health in the kitchen. This is Laura, the editor of Olive, and I'm back at Wilderness Festival in some beautiful fields in Oxfordshire, this time with the lauded Stockport chef, Sam Buckley. Hi. Hello. Sam's cooking on the sold-out chef's table tomorrow. Um, Welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, Sam. Thank you. (laughs) So what is on the menu tomorrow? Um, We have a simple menu, fairly stripped back. So we have some some beetroot, which is new season, Mm -hmm. some of which is from our farm. We have uh, oysters... Um, with pine, sort of new season spruce. Yeah. Um, some eel, smoked eel. Nice. So people have an aversion to until they try it. It's a lovely product. Some trout. Okay. Bit of pork. How do you plan a menu for a middle of a field in a festival? Is well, it, are you just going kind of with the classics from the menu in the restaurant? Or? No, because we, even though we're a year and a half old, like I haven't, we haven't really made life easy because. I guess in a year and a half, we haven't repeated a dish and wow. everything's very improvised on what, what now we can get from the farm. But it's not just about seasonal. Seasonal cooking is, 
I don't know. It's a bit of a misnomer, seasonal cooking, because especially like the weather now. Yeah. It's thrown all the seasons I out, bet. so it's what's good. So actually, one of the dishes we're doing is an old favourite from the menu. Okay. I think that's the first time I've uh, repeated a dish. So tell me about this dish. So that's just beetroot and hazelnut. It's yeah. really simple. You say just beetroot and hazelnut. I bet it's not as simple as it sounds. But it's gone through. It's gone through many machinations, but it is. It's very very simple. Yeah. But what what we do is we salt bake the beetroot and we barbecue it a little. Nice. Um, I'm, and I haven't really even worked out how we'll prepare it tomorrow. Uh, so we might serve it in like a sort of, in like leaves, or we might serve it in chunks, depending on how the weather is. And, and then hazelnut is just, um, we use like uh, fermented rye water wow. to make a hazelnut paste, which gets a really nutty flavour anyway, so it's just reinforcing hazelnut. Amazing. Um, and then with that dish, the idea is, the sort of last time we served it on the menu, is that we would take anything that was foraged, Okay. Or anything we could forage and just kind of cushion it and soften it out as a little salad. Yeah. So if we can get things that are foraged today, then we'll do that. But if not, we'll just uh, serve <laughs> it as it is. Well, you've already been exploring the uh, little patch of green around us. Yeah. So hopefully you can find yeah. some nice stuff. Maybe we can make people eat nettles. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you got anything eyed up for while you're here? I know you're working all day tomorrow, but have you got any people you want to see while you're here? I mean, yeah, we just got here. So I, don't, I, I haven't looked at the festival at all, but I know Kamazi Washington's playing. Yeah. And he's playing. He's starting like an hour into our last service. Okay. So whoever's on the last service, we're going <laughs> to get those guys through and I'm going to go and sit down and watch Kamazi Washington. Nice. Hopefully. Nice. I'm going to jump all over a bit here because I've, I've got lots of questions to ask you, but talking of music now, I read you used to be or are still in a band, is that right? Uh, I'm not in a band anymore, no. God's sake. <laughs> uh, I played double bass. Yeah. So my double bass is propped up at home out of the case as it should be, but I just started playing to my daughter, actually. She's four months old. Aww. So. But, I, yeah, I, I don't touch it no. at all, really. But it's you've okay. you've got enough on your plate at yeah. the moment. Yeah. I, don't, you know, I don't miss music because I'm, I have enough creativity in my life and it's, I know it's going to come back one day. Yeah. So do you listen to music while you're cooking and things like that? We do. We have the, we have the, we have the, uh, we have the music on all day at the, in the yeah. kitchen. And it just goes between what the chefs want to listen to and then I come in and Change it stop all. it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go right back to the start anyway for those that don't know you on the podcast. Tell me about where you've come from, why you're into cooking, what made you start doing it, and a bit about the restaurant as well. So um, I, was at, I was at art school, and uh, I had a part-time job like everybody in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I kind of uh, enjoyed that more. So I sort of found myself kind of missing... You know, I'd worked in, like, a, a little restaurant, a tapas restaurant near me in, in Manchester, and I just found myself going there more than I was going to classes yeah. and then I ended up working so I just sort of stopped after a year I stopped and uh, I just got into cooking I didn't go to chef school or anything like that uh, I started working for Gary Rhodes and then um, I got sort of into Michelin star with Paul Kitchen yeah it's an amazing amazing uh, incredibly sort of individual unique chef actually yeah um and then I, I stopped. I stopped cooking after about three years because I just found it like I just found like the environment's quite um, machismo, and I found like there was some sort of like not not a strong ethical code. I guess like okay. in the early two thousands, it was quite hard. There was maybe a lot of bullying going on. And there was a lot of pressure. Wow. Okay. And I'm not somebody who really likes to be told what to do. <laughs> so um, so I left, 
I went to university and I studied journalism. Okay. And then I started playing music, so I must have had six six years out. So that was quite. That's not just like a little break. Then that's no, you were thinking of another career. Then, <clears throat> yeah, I stopped. I stopped. Cook. I knew that if I was going to carry on cooking, I'd want my own restaurant, and I knew okay. that I wouldn't have a life. Yeah. Uh, so I just. That's a big decision to make. Yeah. Right? So I just got out of it. Yeah. And then I kept getting dragged back in. Just, I guess like. It's just a bit like the university takes sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so then when I realised and I had to sort of submit to the mercy of the <laughs> kitchen, I realised that, you know, I, if I wanted to do it, I was going to do it my own way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I guess that's, you know, six years after, that's where the restaurant kind of takes its main ethos that we don't, you know, we, we try our best not to apply too much pressure and we try and make sure we have a good time and we uh, look after our team and... Um, yeah, we want it to be a happy place, but still be able to produce the food that people are doing in, in sort of yeah. stressful environments. Feels like you've ripped the rule book up a bit with the restaurant, from what I can tell. So you don't have yeah. printed menus. No. You don't have a wine list as no. such. No. Tell me about, how would you describe the restaurant if, freedom if you from, were writing it? <laughs> freedom from choice. Freedom of choice, okay. it? It's like, it, it, when you go to a restaurant... And you go out with a, a couple of friends and you're catching up and you're talking and, mm. and you put these like big menu cards in front of your face and that's kind of like, for me, is like a, like a counterpoint to the, to the flow of, of having a good time with friends. Yeah. So, so that, I, I, also my grandma always told me, you know, you're get, you get what you're given and, <laughs> and, and, and our ethics are kind of, you know, it's, it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but it's idea of zero waste. Yeah. Um, it means that we don't waste any food. Like you, the idea is that you come out and you sit down and you put your three hours in our hands. Yeah. And if and that puts a lot of pressure on us. It means everything's got to be perfect for everybody. Yeah. It also puts a lot of trust uh, on that person that comes to our restaurant yeah. and pays X amount of money yeah. and uh, and and doesn't even, they don't even know what they're going to eat. Yeah. So I'm always thankful to every guest that like like places that trust in our hands yeah but it means we have to get it right but it also gives us the space to be able to get it right you know? yeah. rather than having 15 dishes and like you know oysters going limp after three days yeah. it means we get oysters every day or we get everything super fresh and everything can be cooked amazing to order and we can improvise as well if something doesn't turn up then we can you know if there's a crop that fails or it's not as good as it could be then we can look at our sort of arsenal in our larder yeah you know, ferments and uh, dehydrations and whatnot yeah well it seems yeah. to have gone down very very well it's doing so okay so far <laughs> yeah um so why stockport why <laughs> I, I'm, I'm from manchester so i kind of grew up in manchester and stockport and i only came back i'd sort of been traveling for a few years and i came back just to just to come back yeah um and then we found this building so one of my friends this was his favorite building when we were okay. growing up all right and when we saw it, it was dilapidated and derelict beyond means. But I, <laughs> I guess I kind of saw there's three floors, and we had like business plans for the other two floors. Mm-hmm. I guess I saw that if we could pull everything out of the upstairs, it would create this beautiful space. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, I guess restaurant. Yeah, it, yeah, it was going to create a beautiful space that we could harness and we could turn yeah. into a, a, a place where you could have a wonderful experience for the night. Yeah. And let's talk about a bit more about the sustainability aspect and the low waste and the farm as well that you mentioned. Was, was the yeah. farm always from the start or is that relatively it new? It was always planned to have a farm. <laughs> I can't believe how quickly it's come about and how lucky we are that it's uh, sort of fallen into our lap. So how close to that is? 
uh, so it's the farm to the restaurant. 20-minute drive, South Manchester in Marple. Okay. It's actually where I grew up. I never thought I'd go back there, but... <laughs> yeah, so that's great. I mean, we're building, we're building it slowly and I'm learning slowly, so this year we've managed to get a little bit of crop from there. Lots of herbs, um, a bit of, you know, some roots and brassicas. Yeah. But considering the weather we had in winter when we were trying to set it up was completely against us and the summer's been against us. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and I didn't really know how to farm. I'd sort of been reading books for the past three years and yeah. the, the ethos and the philosophy of how I wanted to farm. So we've got this amazing guy called Jerry. It's his land and he's, he's guess he's my mentor as well. So he does it all with me. Wow. We've just been... On our days off now, we've just been building it, so we've just built another 12 uh, beds and we've just built a huge compost bin. So next year, it's going to be, the operation's really going to be focused around the farm. And awesome. So has it changed the way you've been cooking? Obviously, you've had your challenges this year with the weather, but has it kind of... Um, that's, I, I get, I, I, I don't read many books anymore on, on food. Mm. Um, I guess I never really got so many, I mean, it's... Obviously, that as a chef, like you eat dishes or you see dishes and you're inspired by them, and like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I think like it's a massive source of creation, so of inspiration for creativity. So when when I go down and I walk, I'm walking around the farm. The coolest thing for me is like when a plant's growing. It's like the different stages it's in. Yeah. And and how and how you can utilize each stage from seed to. When it's like mush and, and you've got, got that freedom if you've got you're exactly, growing it right there exactly. and you can experiment so sort of, as yeah. it grows. Yeah, so we work out that we can use baby veg and things like actually we're sat under this plum tree at the moment. And so like I'm gonna pick one of these in a minute and see if <laughs> green plums like slithered and a bit of vinegar tomorrow might go yes, with a beetroot. Please, root. I'm excited yeah. for that. So um, it's good. Tell me more about the cooking as well, because you've kind of you've been a bit vague and said freedom of cooking. Like if you could nail if 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 a restaurant critic was coming to your restaurant, like Marina, who gave you yeah. all those stars, yeah. how would you describe it? She um, kind of said New North. Was it New North? <coughs> New North. Yes, yeah, forget about New Nordic. It's <laughs> New Northern or something. So, I guess we tried to uh, present the food to the guest as simply as possible. Mm. So it's really about getting back in contact with with ingredient. Yeah. So it starts with uh, produce. So yeah. we know we have to know. You know, we start to know inside out uh, each uh, like native species of oyster or the oysters that are growing on our shores or island shores and know the flavour profiles. We know when we can get them fresh. We know when they're good. So it's a, and, and that carries through for everything. So total traceability. So all of our work is done in sourcing and yeah. in understanding the product. That's a lot of work as well, isn't it? That's to get the right, a lot of work, the right suppliers. But it means that our food appears, and like I say, we present it very simply. So yeah. it's like a piece of meat with a paste perhaps on the plate and that's it yeah. but the meat you know we've talked to the farmer about how they rear it we butcher it ourselves yeah so there's a simplicity in the presentation and then there's there's hopefully there's a, there's a weight behind it mm. and a philosophy behind it yeah. that can be that can be dismissed by the guest if need be but like we try and explain as much as we can as much as anybody wants to know about the food yeah so it's about saying this is a piece of pork this is what it tastes like. This is what it should taste like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's really it. It's just simple, very, very simple food. Awesome. With as much contact uh, for the diner as possible. Awesome. Is there anything in your kitchen that you couldn't live without? A piece of equipment or a supplier that you just, you know, you'd be gutted if they left you? What? what Jerry, what Jerry, Jerry is. Jerry, Jerry, don't uh, leave me. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, don't leave me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> do you know what? We have, like, induction at the moment and we have, like, these... Uh, sort of like rationale style ovens these combi okay. ovens 
and we have like uh, thermomixes and Vita preps. We're not like fully. We're not like that heavy on equipment as everybody else mm. or some people. But I'd really actually like to reverse the question. I kind of like to get rid of these things, and, and we're, we're looking at doing a fire, uh, building a fire soon, so it'll be wow. fire cooking, which is again is like a very trendy thing at the moment. But it's something that I believe like is a sustainable way of cooking, and yeah. it's a true way of cooking. And I believe that like that's kind of what we all need to get back to. All of these buzzwords at the moment. <laughs> so, so we're trying to strip back the, the equipment at the moment and go to like a pestle mortar and a fire. And, nice. Um, I guess. I guess like the team, I wouldn't want to lose the team either. That's nice. Yeah. That's good. Um, so you've had some brilliant reviews. You're currently shortlisted in the Olive Chef Awards. The uh, Dark Horse in our, Award. In our Dark Horse wine category. That's funny. You know, it's really cool because I think it's about those that are doing really innovative, cool stuff. And right. you're, I think you're being really humble in saying how you do really simple things. But right. obviously our readers think you're doing something pretty cool. So, right. yeah. Thank you. Very, very cool. Um, but if you could be known for anything or celebrated for one reason at the restaurant, what would it be? What are you most proud of? Um, <clears throat> the operation and the team, the way that we, the way that we, the, the way we're attempting to operate the business now, like you say about ripping the rule book up, mm. the way that we try to be autonomous, the way that we, uh, yeah, the way that we try to involve everybody, um, yeah, really, yeah. The, the op, that, that it sounds like the people are really important to you. Do you think that it's um, getting easier to kind of break away from that? I mean, there's a bit of a Twitter storm I noticed a couple of weeks ago where people saying kitchens are these, like, really stressful environments yeah, and there is are. a lot of bullying and, you know, mental health issues yeah. that are going on. And I think a lot of chefs ignore it or say that it's in the past. Yeah. But what do, what do you think about that? Are you obviously clearly trying to make an environment where that's not going to happen yeah. in your kitchen? It's funny. It's, like, it's a little bit of a paradox because, like, you want you still want to do the best you can and we want to cook the best food we can and the yeah. standard's got to be... Amazing. So, especially if your name's above the door, right? That's a lot. Yeah, of pressure, yeah. And the more press we get now, I feel you know, I feel the pressure. Yeah, of course. But so I would say, in the past month, I would say we've had a shortage uh, of chefs. We're about to, we're about to employ a few more. We've got people in the pipeline to come and work with us. So I'd say that the guys, if I'm honest, the guys in the kitchen have felt like a lot of pressure off me yeah. in the past month, and that that makes me kind of beat myself up a bit. Yeah. But we, but we like sit down and talk about problems. So. So, yeah, I, I think it's really important for people to keep talking about these things because yeah. saying it and saying it's in the past is easy. It would be easy for me to say that. Yeah. Um, and actually, like, the way that we want to do things and the way that we do things is very, very difficult, especially if you want to achieve the standard that we're trying to achieve. Sure. So, we're, like, we're constantly striving to make it better. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, like... A lot of the pressure comes on me and then, you know, it's that top-down thing. Yeah, of course. Um, so, it's a, so I think... For me, it's about being aware and being honest with yourself. It's like, you know, did I treat the guy as well today? Yeah. Yes or no. If I didn't, uh, what can I do to change it? Or, you know, do I need to sit down with anybody? And I, and I, I try and do that. Sounds like communication is key. Communi is it's about communication, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I hope my team think that <laughs> too. Um, what's been your hardest challenge running your own restaurant? Because obviously you've worked in all these high-pressured environments with, you know, Paul Kitchen, Gary Rhodes, Simon Rogan. You must have had some really big learning curves opening your own restaurant and doing it to such a high standard as well. You know, you've, you've not been yeah. messing around. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just... <laughs> it's all really, really hard. It's yeah. really hard. I think before this, when I was a head chef, I, was, I had a good talent at working with people the way that they needed to be worked with yeah you know good with people yeah being able to be flexible with each person and sort of and um and i feel like i lost that because the hard the hardest thing at the moment is to be all things to all men like to yeah. be like in the kitchen and then 
go and sort out a meeting with a sommelier and then have a meeting with the front of house and then have a meeting with a builder that might be coming about like trying to make this one part of the restaurant more uh, efficient for That's us. That's the thing, so you're just, businessman, gardener, washer, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you do everything, it's, don't it's you? It's been everything yeah. all the time. Yeah, that's hard. And yeah, yeah, that's the hardest thing. So talking of that, you probably don't have many days off and you're probably doing things like this on your days off. Mm. Um, did I see you've got a summer break coming up there at the end of this month? Yeah, we're <laughs> ne- <laughs> next week's our last week and we close for two weeks. So, all, so all, the whole team break up at the same time. Awesome. So we do like six or seven weeks off a week uh, ah, a year. So awesome. it's like three weeks at Christmas, two weeks in summer, two weeks at Easter. Um, and that's great in itself, you know, that you're yeah, taking yeah, the time yeah. for you and your team to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So well, ha- how are you going to relax? So we're going to Italy. We're going to take nice. our four-month-old daughter on her first holiday. Amazing. Um, we're going to Emilia Romana okay. to see my auntie. And then we're going to just travel on the train and sort of work our way down south and just do a bit of, like, awesome. mooching around, try and find some old ladies making good pasta. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what's the one meal you're desperate to cook on your time off where you're not going to do any to cooking? Cook. Or to you eat? must be joking. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I just want to eat... Well, I'm going to eat my auntie's food at her house, which nice. is the best. Um, she just She's a feeder, so she just feeds you, like, an unhealthy of amount of food. Yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely my aunties. I hope she's going to do a curry one night. I know she will. Nice. And then she'll feed me like amaretto afterwards. <laughs> nice. Um, we're going to Napoli, so I'm looking forward to seeing the pizza there. And like, I, I like eating. Again, I like eating simply when we're away. We might book in like a few decent restaurants, yeah. but I like finding like I like finding the essence of it. Like you know, like an old lady Santa does step making pasta, and you can get invited into that house, and it's yeah. like that's, that's beautiful, special, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. That's like. Yeah, soul food, I guess. Yeah, family I like style. That. Yeah. Okay, you're probably gonna vomit when I ask this question because it sounds like you're really busy. But do you have plans for another restaurant or what's yeah. next? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're supposed to open a bakery uh, ah, very soon, and awesome. we're gonna open a natural wine bar underneath that, and that's all part of sustaining the restaurant. So is that in the same building or is that elsewhere and stuff? It's it's supposed to be in the same building, okay, but we're awesome. just um, yeah. Complicated, yeah. Business, business-wise, but um, yeah. So we'll have this bakery that's a grocer's and a cafe as well, and that will be just more on the ground, but still uh, pursuing like the message that we have, which is like you know get 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 in contact with your food, and uh, it also means that we have this direct conversation between restaurant and cafe that. Uh, the bread will be baked for the restaurant in the bakery, so awesome. it's going to take make, make some space for the restaurant. Uh, when we take our whole animals and butcher those down, we can send down certain cuts to the cafe. <laughs> so is this, it, it opens this conversation. And it makes it makes the whole not the whole journey complete, but it starts to make like the puzzle. It's another piece of the jigsaw puzzle of being sustainable, of being yeah, um, of being zero waste, and of like yeah, having that complete. I mean, it's it's one thing to have, say that we've got all these morals, but we charge. You know, 130 pounds or something for a meal at the moment. Yeah. Um, so it's good to try and get it on the ground level as well. Nice, nice. And when do you think that would be? <laughs> <laughs> well, my partner's so my partner's the architect of, of the oh, whole project, and amazing. we work together full time in the in the building. So and Ray stays with us in the off in the in the kitchen all day every day. So it's a real family business now. But Chloe's Chloe's um, designing the space at the moment, and That's so she's cool. starting to work with builders. Uh, it was supposed to open like this month, but we're, we're, we're nowhere near that. I think yeah. it's going to open like next year, beginning okay. of next year, hopefully. We just need to 
hopefully we've got the space, but you know, we've got another two or three spaces in the pipeline. Amazing. So yeah, yeah. Watch this space. Okay, and last question. We created the Olive Chef Awards in association with Dark Horse Wine to sort of champion the chefing industry and to kind of prove that it's a really cool place to be and yeah. some really interesting things being done. Um, if you could give any bit of advice to those getting into the industry or thinking of getting into the industry, what would you say? Um, I'd say uh, take it slowly. Yeah. Um, I'd say value your wellness of being outside of the restaurant and that will look after you in the kitchen. Awesome. All right, thank you so much and good luck with the cooking tomorrow. I'm looking forward to trying everything thank and you. have a great time at the festival. I'll do my best. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Hello, and I'm here to chat to Ivan and Imogen of Native, a restaurant that's bringing zero-waste forage-focused dining to London Bridge. So, hello. Hi. Hello. Can you tell us a bit about how Native started life? Because you were in uh, Neil's yard, weren't you? Yes, yeah, so we um, we actually started life um, selling jams and chutneys um, at the London Farmers Markets, but trying out with different flavour combinations, um, So, which we were doing when we were at University in Brighton. Oh, so okay. we started kind of, that was our first venture into the food industry. And then we kind of thought, why are we selling jams and chutneys? <laughs> uh, it feels like we're kind what of we ahead, like, a little bit before our time. Yeah. <laughs> a, a brigade of grannies making yeah, jams and we, were, yeah, and we were up there selling them in, in London farmers Yeah, markets. they didn't think it was really us. I mean, we won a great taste award for um, a couple of them, which was great. Um, but that was kind of like our first insight into the food industry properly. Um, how we got into foraging as well. Um, I'm originally from London and moved down to the countryside with, uh, to go to Brighton University and my parents decided to move down there as well. So basically sort of spend the summers in, in the fields with, with my dogs and um, started picking blackberries. I've started with blackberries like everyone does and then moved on to slowberries, wild garlic and oh, wow. just kind of went home and Googled what to do with it. And it, it <laughs> How to it, use yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. It turned out to be jams and chutneys. And then, as Imogen said, we were like 21 years old and we were <laughs> at a farmer's market selling jam. Yeah, like early mornings and late nights, like trying to like pack the car up and stuff. And it was just we were a bit like, what, what are we what doing? Are we doing and you definitely didn't make any money either. So, <laughs> so we were kind of that. But it was an ambient product, so we weren't throwing anything away, which was already like really important to us. It always completely has been um so yeah so we then realized that we kind of wanted to venture a little bit more into like pop-ups and supper clubs and street food um which we started doing at just different places um around london um and um yeah which is where we started kind of experiment with with our more wild food and just making sure that everything we the decisions we made were very like consciously sustainable and all of that so started off doing native as a street food store sort of testing the idea seeing how people um, reacted to being served game. Um, <laughs> so our very first dish, and kind of still a signature dish for Native now, which we have on the tasting menu sometimes, is our pigeon kebab. Okay. So it's um, basically everyone's had a kebab on a joint night out pretty much, so we thought we're going <laughs> to do something that everyone relate, can relate to, but we're going to serve pigeon in it instead. To wow. sort of, and pigeon's just wonderful. It tastes like steak pretty much. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's it, so it, good it, for it, you as well. Yeah. So we have like an organic flatbread with uh, beetroot hummus, our own harissa, the pigeons marinated in like a razal hanu sort of style okay. spice. Um, yeah, it's so basically. delicious. There's a good sort of ten components. We did so <laughs> a bit more of a refined next kebab. level street yeah. food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when we did, um, when we opened the restaurant, when we opened the Neil's Yard, people used to ring us at like eleven o'clock at night, and we'd be cleaning down and be like, <laughs> really? "You still doing your pigeon kebab? <laughs> like, we need like to get like a stall outside a fabric, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just when everyone's finishing. It's a That's great amazing. idea. Yeah. yeah. The idea is to make, was to make game and forage stuff that I didn't know about growing up 
at all. Uh, make it accessible to everyone, give everyone the chance to, to try this food. Because um, mm -hmm. so traditionally, if you wanted to go and eat pigeon or grouse, you just pay about 25 pounds and mm -hmm. go to a super high-end restaurant. So we thought, you know, game's kind of cheap. If you can get it, well, forage food you can get for free. Yeah. You can pretty much pick up some game for free, some, some pheasant or something in season if you go along to a shoot. But then, yet yeah, to go and eat it in London, you've got to pay £25. Mm. So we kind of decided to make it accessible for everyone and yeah. make it a bit more playful as well as just serving a whole rabbit of its head on yeah. the dish, make it some make a bit more accessible. Making it accessible. For people yeah. and stuff like that. Oh, we did our grouse fried, um, our buttermilk fried, our BFG, our buttermilk fried grouse as well, oh, didn't wow. we? Yeah, it's coming up. Yes, it's back to there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, this was kind of the way that I grew up. I'm one of six children, grew up in the countryside. Okay. My mum and dad had an organic farm shop and I had no idea about food waste or anything like that. When you've got loads of siblings, mm. there's no such thing <laughs> as food left over. There really Doesn't isn't. Exist. Like, you finish everything that's on your plate and that's dinner. Um, but equally, like, my dad would come home with roadkill, so we grew up on venison. He reared turkeys every year for Christmas, like, everything. But we would pretty much only have meat once a week because they'd make sure that they had a really good piece and it would probably generally be on a Sunday right. um, and then the rest of the week would eat amazing vegetables but certainly wouldn't call myself a vegetarian or flexitarian mm. or anything it was just kind of the way it was. I thought it you know the world was and then I went mm. to university and realised <laughs> people like Ivan didn't <laughs> the complete opposite I grew up in South East London and didn't know anything about any of this food, any wild food any, any game at all I ate fish fingers and chips like everyone else really um, and then got shown the way of I mean I guess I didn't I didn't ever have the opportunity to learn about this yeah. stuff. You know, it was never part of sort of life growing up in, in London. Um, whereas now Imogen craves fish fingers and chips. And <laughs> it's I, true. Opposite. <laughs> fish fingers, chips and beans <laughs> on a Sunday. But then the, thing, the fact that you say that it's not is that now that you've seen it from doing it outside of London and now you can do it all over London. Like, you yeah. really can. Like, on your way to work, like, in your local parks. It's, like, yeah. forage foods everywhere. So where... Where do you go foraging? Um, so this weekend I was back at home in Northamptonshire, so I've brought down some hogweed and elderberries. But we've on Hampstead Heath, one of our chefs lives nearby. He picks pineapple weed from there um, okay. at the moment. But in South London, I would go to Oxley's Woods, and you can get all the hedgerow berries from there, which is on Shooter's Hill. Uh, Blackheath itself has. Yarrow, um, Alexander leaves, all sorts of stuff on it. Um, it's just once you know it, you. you you start seeing the world as like a, an edible Playground. supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a much better way to see the world than just great, yeah, great concrete. And, and are you always, when you're out foraging, are you always finding new things that you don't know what they are, or is it yep. you kind of hundred? Yeah, a few you're things like, you yeah. sort of. I wouldn't recommend it. Basically, put it in your mouth and sort of crunch it and think that just tastes nice and spit That's, it out quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then Ivan's got, like, a one-track. If it's not edible, Ivan's not interested in it. Yeah, <laughs> flowers, Can you yeah. tip note, flowers? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, I mean, there's so much stuff out there that we don't know about, and we get sent... Because we, we work with foragers, obviously, we can't be out foraging all the time because mm. we're trying to paint restaurants and build tables and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, So we get sent stuff all the time, and we all the new stuff in and to see what it tastes like. There's no, there's not a lot of stuff on the internet about a lot, a lot of it, so it's completely, really? like, a blank slate for us, and... We basically try and, as I said, with these Alexander leaves, uh, seeds, so we taste them and they taste like Szechuan pepper, so we try and sort of have a mental note in our head and sort of make, a, I guess, a mind map of of what tastes like what and how we can replace yeah. it and stuff like that. Um, it's still such early doors, we're still yeah. learning, really. And also it's at the different stages that a plant is at in its life, so when you've got the young shoots, they taste so different to the more mature shoots yeah. and right. things like that. So, so throughout the year, 
you don't necessarily just have to wait for it to come into full into season, mm-hmm. but you can use the kind of the young shoots. And obviously, it's doing it all, you know, leaving enough behind and all of that. And mm. but with nettles and things like that, their young shoots taste so completely different. Um, but then it's also it's fun because you get to be creative. You know, like dandelion stems, you can turn yeah. into straws and oh, by wow. freezing them and and like things like that are so fun. Yeah, like, that's for me. That's Amazing. like and and it's a great way to kind of pass on to everybody. And it's kind of like yeah. And I think the thing is, like I said, when um, when I came to eat, eat here, um, I'm going to pronounce this probably incorrectly, but we had <laughs> Hogseed Van yeah. Duvan, is that correct? Uh, or... Van Duvan, yeah. <laughs> we'll go yeah, with yeah. that. I, mean, straight, um, I might be saying it wrong as well. But I, I remember, like, Googling it, and nothing was coming up on Google, and I was like, it's so exciting. Yeah. Because... Apparently we're the top, the top result now, yeah. you Google it. Yeah, you Google oh, it, and it just yeah. comes up with, like, the dessert. Yeah. And it's really exciting, because you're like, it's one of these things that I'm going to eat, and I kind of have no clue what I'm eating, yeah. but that's kind of the fun of it as well. So these, like, these are the hog seeds. Yeah. Yes, we've got a plate in front of us yeah. with lots of foraged goods on it. Yeah, so this is this is this week's. So this, this has a bad a bad rep because recently in the in the papers there was, everyone's talking about uh, giant hogweed. Okay. It's the same the same family, I guess, but uh, giant hogweed. Sort of it's very strong. Oh wow, it's very strong. Yeah, so it's got a, like citrusy, mm. almost like coriandery kind of flavour. Like instantly, it's got that citrusy flavour, yeah. um, which is amazing. If you look at it, it just looks like some dried out. Mm. Like it just looks like something you'd walk past yeah, and exactly discard but, straight but it's away. So powerful, so pungent mm. in the, the flavour. And then once, once I'm not necessarily saying you just go and just use this, but the flavour that that brings, rather than us having to get coriander, like, you know, the coriander The individual, the, yeah. Exactly, then it's kind of a great way to showcase it in and make it taste delicious. Yeah, absolutely. But for this, you can use the seeds, the leaves, and the stalks. Like, yeah. So all of it's it. sort of like a uh, root, nose to tail, stem to root. Yeah, stem to root. Yeah. Yeah. And you exactly. use a lot of this in your drinks as well, don't you? Yes. So you yeah, so we, um, we, for instance, we use Melalot, which is um, a member of the, clove, the sweet clover family. Um, so if you give it a smell, um, it smells wonderful. To me, it smells like almost like oh. almondy. Yeah, like marzipan. Yes, almost. exactly. Yeah. yeah, so we okay. use that in one of our... Um, we infuse our vodka and we make like a melalot mule. Tastes so, similar to sort of the bison grass vodka. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, it's kind of how we started with it, really. And yeah. then, yeah, we make a melalot mule, which has ginger. Um, oh, yeah, I think I Yes, I think you might have tried that one. And then we've yeah. got a new one, which is like my absolute favourite cocktail I think I've ever had. And mm. it's, it? it's not on the menu yet because we were just developing it, but it's a <laughs> pineapple weeder colada. Oh, and wow. it's amazing because obviously you can't grow pineapples here. But pineapple <laughs> yeah. weed, which um, I don't have any here to show you because we've used it all in our dishes at the moment. Um, but it's, it literally grows in like the cracks of pavements and things, but also, as I said, like all over Hampstead Heath and everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it does actually... Taste, taste and smell like pineapple. It's but amazing. Is it completely unrelated? Completely to unrelated. Yeah. And it's like about this big. It's like the size of my thumbnail. Is but it's really got such a strong smell, so we've kind of played around with it and then created a pineapple weeder colada, which I just like to say. Oh, really? So I was yeah. going to say, it's just a fun name, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, that's... But it does taste really great. And so when you're planning the menu, say you have all these foraged goods, do you kind of design the menu based around what you find or do you have like yeah ha- yeah how does so that work completely sort of produce led so right. whatever's in season like truly seasonal whatever we've been sent by the forager whatever we've found we'll create a dish around that um, and that's on like a daily and weekly basis it's not like a month's ahead no uh, wow so it's really completely so today we've got some green gauges in so we're basically gonna <clears throat> serve the green gauges and grouse because we got them in in, in nice. the restaurant pretty much it's a much better way for us to work we don't I, I feel if you have sort of the world at your feet you can mm. 
your creativity doesn't sort of flow as much really. Yeah. But when when you're restricted and you have to have to use the green gauges, you sort of and you're using them sort of in season for that month, you get kind of more creative and different ways to use them. Maybe you sort of pickle them or ferment yeah. them or serve them raw, and it's just it really sort of channels your creativity, I guess. Also, I think if you go back to kind of like that hunter-gatherer mm. stage where the, where we kind of, we used to eat and um, we used to kind of rely on what was available at the time, there's something about the fact that grouse is out at the same time as the green gauges. Like, they will probably go really well together. And yeah, things like that. it kind of makes sense. And it's amazing that... They, that and the grouse and the corn and yeah. grouse live in the, in the field. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, kind you know, of... when, when you <clears throat> get the grouse in that have just been shot and you sort of because it's not very nice to sort of clean them to apart they still have food yeah. in their crop and it's kind of that serving grouse with barley because it's what it yeah. eats with heather and stuff like that and it's it's Makes kind of sense. symbiosis I guess is it like it's um, yeah exactly and I guess when the way that you design your menu it means that I guess as chefs you get otherwise you could get kind of stuck in a rut with yeah, the same no things but there's no chance of that because <laughs> yeah. you're constantly like yeah. so right now also in front of us we've got ants which yes. we've just tried so this so is... what <clears throat> when did you think oh let's start cooking well, <laughs> freezing ants again we, this was one of the things that we were kind of introduced by one of our foragers so he'd sent us them and we lack the in this country we lack the ability to create many citrusy flavored ingredients so um you know lemons and limes and we've got sea buckthorn which is another mm. great ingredient so that's really citrusy but um anything that we can get a hold of that has that kind of citrusy aspect is a great addition so we tried them, and although they're great and they've got, although they're cracking, you're like, oh my god, it's an ant, and it's it's really memorable. We certainly wouldn't put them on the on the menu if they they didn't have a purpose. Yeah. Um. So we put them. We initially put them on one of our um. Granita. On the granita, oh yeah, honey and lavender granita, which we didn't have like that zesty element. So we put them on, and it adds like this little sherbetty pop, yeah. and it was just amazing. So then we've just kind of progressed and used them actually as an ingredient as well as like a real kind of a real talking point at the fact that we can have wood ants. Yeah, but I think that's really good that it's not just it's not just for show. Yeah, it's no, like yeah. no, everything needs to, to have do a purpose. Something. Yeah. something that's used in in other cuisines from other countries, without sort of even batting a line in, especially yeah. in Brazil. We had um, Alice Atala name drop who came to a <laughs> eat at our restaurant. So oh, we, we gave him some of the ants. And he loved it, and he he basically told us all about these huge ants they have in Brazil that taste like lime, whereas these ones are kind of more lemony, lemony and they all have yeah. different flavours in this. It's a whole world yet to be discovered. I'm not, ne- not necessarily recommending you start just picking up any old ant, though. No. Like, just <laughs> you, <laughs> you're trained and you know what you're doing, so it's a probably trail best of to honey leave it to, to your house or something. <laughs> but they are very expensive. They're like £600 a kilo. So wow. I mean, you can see we've got like 20 grams in there, so we're not on the end. Um, <laughs> but still, yeah, we haven't got a safe of ant. A precious <laughs> ant. It's like robbed for ants. Robbed yeah. For, yeah, I was going to say, maybe don't. And finally, are there any other ingredients out there that you think are really worth shouting about or celebrating or that you really love cooking with here at all or not i think my personal favorite is sea buck thornberry because it's got like 10 times more vitamin c than an orange and the size of oh, berry is about the wow. size of my thumbnail um they're just these tiny really citrusy incredibly like tart little tiny berries that um, are bright orange. I think that's what helps me like them a lot, a lot as well. And they're just amazing. And, and you use those in dessert? We use them in desserts. Or... We use them in some of our drinks. Mm. Um, apparently in New York they were selling shots of sea buckthorn for like 
$10 a shot. Oh and like, so it's like, it's, it's like full of antioxidants. It's actually really, really good for you, but it just tastes amazing. And I yeah. think like the fact that with these tiny little berries can pack such a punch. They have so and, powerful. Yeah. And again, I think because of that citrusiness that I, we always try and make sure that our dishes cover, like they don't, they never just kind of like one level. So when you taste it, you've mm. got different levels, you've got different textures. Um, there's not just ever like one flavor. So I think when we get another bit that we can add that citrusy, kind of element without ha having to squeeze a lemon on top is um yeah i love that yeah as for ivan uh <laughs> it's i i love seaweeds at the moment um, seaweeds yeah i oh, think seaweeds okay. are amazing but um we, we've started exploring them with them in sort of desserts as opposed to use them in, in oh, savory yeah. way so seaweed goes amazing with chocolate oh. um we do like little chocolate drops of lemon uh, and kombu and um some fennel and, and they're wonderful but at the same time, we're also, we're also looking a lot into like, the invasive species that have been introduced okay. to countries, so a lot of like crayfish, yeah. Japanese knotweed, and, and stuff like that, which... Um, Grey squirrel. Yeah, squirrels. Grey yeah, squirrel? Yeah, yeah, yeah really? squirrels. Like rabbit. You, you, can, you can deep fry that as well, like chicken as well. Deep, yeah, deep, deep fried grey squirrel. So, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're looking into doing um, like an invasive species dinner, um. one night, where it's completely made out of invasive species that have been introduced to this country. Wow. So like not native dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they, they, they have become native now. <laughs> wow. Um, oh, well, thank you so much. Thank that you is, for yeah, yeah I feel like we've all learned a lot and everyone should, yeah, definitely try, come here and try it rather than picking your own ants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on the Chef Awards, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com, and click on the Chef Awards tab. You can pick up a copy of our Italian-themed August issue on the newsstand now, or go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. <laughs>